Hello and welcome back to the psychology of your 20s, the very unprofessional podcast where we talk through some of the biggest changes and transitions of our 20s and what they mean for our psychology. Welcome to the new, maybe not very exciting episode, nonetheless. This week we're going to be discussing climate anxiety, which is a huge issue for us in our 20s. Um, I think this is the first generation to realise that our kids are not going to grow up in the same world that we live in. So I thought we'd kind of discuss it today and I'd bring on a guest to join me. Hi. Oh, hello. (laughs) Hi. Um, I'm Tanea. Yeah, I'm Gemma's resident climate guide. Um, I don't mm. know. Guide is a good word for it. It sounds very professional. And for all those wondering, we're recording this across the web. Across the interwebs. Across the interweb. It took a bit of a, took a a few trial runs, but we're here now. Um, We're techie kids. We're techie kids. I've got a pizza in front of me. I've had a few glasses of wine. How are you going this afternoon? Well, this evening. Um, Good. Yeah, I I have tea, so not as exciting, but just as Mm. good. Yeah. Um, Sorry, there's me chewing. Before we get into it, I feel like. I want the audience to know you a little bit better. So can you tell us about how we met? What's your deal? Yeah. Um, Where you're from? Gemma and I met at college and um, we bonded just exclusively over Taylor Swift. Um, Mm. That's literally, that's how I picture you in my head. I'm like, it's Gemma. We love Taylor Swift. (laughs) It's true. And our friendship is obviously more than that now. Yeah. (laughs) No, that's, it's literally, it's just Taylor Swift, that's all we talk about. Yeah. We don't even know why we're doing this episode. Yeah. I can't think of anything else. Yeah, this has not been endorsed by Taylor Swift, so why are we doing it? But I remember the first time I was like, oh my god, me and Tanea are friends, was when Folklore got released, and we came over, I came over and did like a listening party at your house. Yeah, you brought so many good snacks. Yeah, and then I ate them all. Well, it was a joint effort. Yeah, we we tried. I think we did well. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? Because it isn't Taylor Swift. Yeah, it is not Taylor Swift. Um, we are going to be talking about climate anxiety, which mm. is um, sort of something that I am I get, I'm involved with, have yeah. climate anxiety because I <laughs> study um, climate science and policy um, at mm. university. And yeah, I have the the things you want to know. You know, Well, I don't have all the knowledge, but she has a fair amount and also like personal experience with this as well um and like so like I kind of already explained I think the reason I'm really interested in discussing this is because I don't know if you agree Tanea but climate anxiety is a is like going to become a fucking pandemic yeah no I definitely agree yeah and I really think that is just going to be overwhelmed like we are facing let's be real like mass extinction natural disasters the end of the human race um and yeah I think yeah sorry um (laughs) I feel like our mental health like you know sector is already overwhelmed and then Mm. adding climate change onto that it's Mm. just it's it's gonna go downhill yeah especially as like the world deteriorates even further and more people are surviving natural disasters um I really wanted to say, I read this excellent quote the other day. I think it was maybe even on your Instagram, Tanea. Classic. Um, classic, yeah. Follow her if you want some good 
um, climate change and for graphics that make you feel furious and also calm at the same time. But I read this excellent quote and it was like, essentially, climate change is going to be conveyed through tragic videos of, of natural disasters we see on our phone until one day we're the ones filming. And that was pretty profound because I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it. Like we've both already had experiences with things like bushfires, floods, you know, global warming in general. Like it's not uncommon at, at this stage. Mm. And it just shows how it's just going to become like increasingly more prevalent um, with this next generation. And like another big reason I wanted to talk about climate anxiety is because, like I said, it's on the rise. Many psychologists feel they're unequipped to handle a growing number of patients who are just despairing about the future of, of the planet because we're not like the systems and the processes we use to deal with general anxiety or depression they're just not really equipped for this kind of like existential dread. Would you kind of agree with that? Like it is very unique. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, so much of like mental health response uh, is quite individualistic and this is like, mm. which is important and, and needed, mm. but this is like a massive, you know, worldwide problem that everyone yeah. faces and, you know, everyone's going to face it in really different ways as well. That's a really good point. I hadn't actually thought about that. Like so often, the struggles that we have mentally are very individualistic and you know you can go to therapy for them and maybe work through it but this is going to be something that's just like so much bigger and like not to be existential but like we're not going to save our planet like <laughs> we we're I'm, gonna try but we're yeah try. but maybe this is my climate anxiety and climate like dread sinking in like I just don't think that we're going to be able to fix it and there's that's just a huge source of dread and how do like mental health professionals really adapt to this? And like all over the world, various psychiatric organizations and governments, they've all recognized climate change as a growing threat to mental health, not just in terms of PTSD due to like exposure to floods and bushfires and the like, but just like a general common concern about the future of our planet, um, which I think is also really interesting. And like, I just don't imagine it's going to disappear either. And um, I think I was saying to you yesterday today when we, when we were talking on the phone about like the Morrison government. Um, yeah. So my yeah. I've yeah. seen the memes recently on Twitter. Oh, did you see the memes? Oh, there we go. You know, it's going to hit the news when there's memes about it. Um, but essentially the Morrison government ill, but whatever yeah. um, announced that they wanted more school chaplains to help children due to climate anxiety or more specifically alarmist climate activism that they claimed had increased mental health concerns amongst children yeah I think the chaser summed it up really well they tweeted and they were like um after the chaplain like chaplain incident um we're taking the week off like there's no need for satire because the government's sort of just providing it there (laughs) in the flesh I literally love it I love how they're like it's left-wing organizations like get up and extinction rebellion like they're they're making kids stress because of their alarming messages which is like the truth and it's like you maybe think that kids are actually just like stressing because it's like the end of the world <laughs> like you think yeah. that maybe and i said it was like yeah even like the mental health of children is politicized rather than you know actually like addressing the issue like instead of being like oh yeah climate change is actually a problem they're like oh my god the fucking get up is poisoning them yeah, it's it's a massive amount of blame shifting, unfortunately. Yeah, and, like, it's almost satirical. Like, it's ironic almost. It's just, like, there's it some things like this you just can't help but almost want to laugh at. 
like just yeah. how ridiculous that like narrative shifting is. Um, and I, we also talked about how there's been some really interesting recent discussions about whether to add climate anxiety as a disorder into the DSM. So the DSM being like the International Manu- Manual of like all clinical mental health disorders and conditions. So should climate anxiety, as serious as it is, be able to be classified as a mental health disorder? And this would mean more governmental funding for this type of issue, more space for research into effective clinical approaches to minimise climate dread and existential dread concerning the planet and our climate. You know, there's not really much more funding towards actually saving the planet that can be done, but it would help in terms of addressing this from a clinical perspective. Mm. Um, Anyhow, the reason I wanted to bring you on is you have such amazing general knowledge. Um, Yeah, what do you start? You you have like a basically like a degree in environment and climate change. Yeah, my um, I do politics, philosophy, and economics as well, but that's Mm. a bit boring. And environment, (laughs) yeah, environment and sustainability is the degree that I really enjoy. And then I minor in climate science and policy. Yeah, um, and I work for an environmental charity. So she's got the whole package, guys. It's all it's all here. Mm. <laughs> a lot of climate dread to come with that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Also, fun fact, we're working together next year. We both got grad jobs at the same place. So this is the first of many collaborations today, I'm sure. I'm very excited. Um, um, yeah, me too. Um, I feel like everyone knows what climate change is. We don't need to tell you what it is if you have not heard about it. You've been sleeping under a rock. But one thing I really <laughs> want to talk about is the IPCC reports. Can you give us a little bit of an overview? Yeah. So the IPCC or like the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, there is just like a lot of um, mm-hmm. acronyms in like the UN climate science world. Um, but they released their um, report on the physical science of climate change, which is um, part of AR6. So it's like they, they go through cycles of reporting yeah. on the climate. Um, okay. And this particular report, it's just about the physical science um, and they, the IPCC doesn't actually um, do the science themselves. They just assess current science. So, like, they looked at about 14,000 mm-hmm. publications. There was, like, 234 oh, authors um, and, like, over, like, 78,000 review comments. Um, so heaps of science was assessed. It's basically, mm-hmm. like, the best sort of analysis of current climate science um, in the world and they're timed to um, sort of tie into policy debates. Mm. So, like, we have COP26 yeah. coming up, which is, like, um, in Glasgow when they'll uh, – it's a conference basically following on from the Paris Agreement um, okay. to try and keep global warming below two degrees, and this report will really help that. What, do you, what are you expecting from this, from this conference? Hopefully more um, intense climate sort of commitments to reduce emissions so Paris Mm. there was a lot of change between Paris which was in 2016 and now um like we had Trump in um you know who pulled out of the Paris agreement and then Biden signed Mm. the Paris agreement back in and then so you have like you know one of the world's biggest polluters the U.S. flipping from completely like climate denier to um really like solid um, pledged climate action. Yeah. Um, we had China committing to net zero by 2050, Japan committed to net zero, oh. I think by 20, oh, sorry, China was committing by 2060. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just a lot of different pledges. So it'll be interesting to see whether other countries like Australia that haven't, we haven't changed our commitments, um, whether or not we'll sort of up the game or not. What's our current commitment? 
Our current commitment is, I think, 26 or 28% reduction on 2000 and in, in emissions. Um, yeah. On 2005 levels, I think. It's a really, it's a very weak political yeah. standpoint. It's not great. Well, who can blame us? Well, not yeah. blame us, but who's surprised? Like, yeah, no one is surprised. The whole Morrison, like, COVID package was like, let's just give heaps of money to, like, fossil fuel organisations and, like, it will trickle down, yes? Yeah, uh-huh. I know, and very much into, like, a gas-led recovery, which is not yeah. a recovery at all. Um, no. You know, it's still, gas is still a fossil fuel and it's still Finite. terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like our recovery is going to be only for the next 10 years and then, well, we don't know what to do after that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So good luck, everyone. <laughs> bye. Um, bye. <laughs> See ya. See you in hell. Um, <laughs> but what did the report say specifically? Because it's been in the news heaps. Maybe for people who haven't read it, can you give us a little bit of a sum up of was it all doom and gloom? Like what, what's it telling us? Yeah, it was, it was all doom and gloom. Um, not going to lie. And it's actually really interesting because every single government, um, which is part of the IPCC, which is like, you know, I think most governments across the world, um, mm. they had to go through and approve the summary for policymakers line by line. So basically the whole report was Whoa. approved by every government worldwide. So You've got. Oh my god, I didn't even know that. That's yeah, crazy. yeah, it's really. Huh. So it's sort of. It actually, on some cases, it means that the IPCC and their reports, um, under represent, um, sort of. It's like I think the statistic is that IPCC reports are, are twenty times more likely, um, to be worse than what they state, like their predictions. It's twenty times more likely that it'll be worse than their predictions because they actually tend to underreport slightly because they have to make sure that everything is very, very certain because mm. it's all being signed off by a bunch of governments. Um, which means that it'll probably be worse than what they predict, but you know, we'll just see. <laughs> um But also the prediction was already pretty bad. Yeah. So they said, um, you know, I think the press release line was like this is code red for humanity. Um oh, and they said scary. the, you know, we're getting like extreme heat is more intense and frequent, heavier mm-hmm. rainfall is more frequent and intense, mm-hmm. droughts increasing, there's more frequent fire weather, the oceans warming. Um, acidifying and losing oxygen Um, and it's just basically saying that our you know the Paris Agreement like all governments worldwide basically tried to keep committed to trying keeping global warming under 1.5 degrees um, or at least under two two degrees but where this report is saying we will 100% exceed that this century unless massively deep reductions in emissions are happening because we've already hit um 1.1 degrees of warming (laughs) yeah and actually Um, the thing that really got me um when I was I like went to a seminar about this report mm. and it said if we want to hit net zero by 2050 which would keep us on like sort of the low um the low emissions pathways to try and like keep it under two degrees Mm. um we need to have a reduction in emissions, the equivalent of what the COVID pandemic did to us every two years. So we need to like have that massive amount of um, sort of economic downturn Mm. every two years. Currently, obviously there's ways that we can like decouple um, emissions from GDP. So like if, Mm. you know, at the moment we've, it's very tied together. So when GDP grows, emissions grow and blah, blah, blah. And we can change that. But yeah, at the moment it's like, we need to have a COVID pandemic level of reduction in emissions every two years. And it'll be really interesting because like, I don't think COVID is going away anytime soon, but 
when it does, which will be probably within the next decade. And like, that sounds like a long time for like us right now, but in terms of like climate emissions, it's not really. Um, Mm. As soon as like COVID starts to kind of become less of the issue that everyone's worried about, vaccination increases, we don't really know what's going to happen. But what will happen, I think, is that a lot of governments will seek to bounce back by, sorry, pizza burp. (laughs) So cute. Get it. A lot of governments will probably seek to bounce back by pumping heaps of money into like industries, international travel will open up again, international trade will become less regulated, like, well, not less regulated, but more kind of open because we're not so worried about border restrictions and, um, you know, crossing into other territories and the spread of a deadly disease. So mm. you're, it's almost like we're going to kind of slide back, perhaps even worse than we were before. And I, I, I mean, this is like a weird conspiracy theory, but I seriously think like Mother Nature, if she's out there, COVID was definitely deliberate. Like <laughs> she was like, okay, you fucking stupid humans, time to get a grip. Here's a deadly disease. Oh, well, like, actually, like it was very linked to sort of what we, like um, science predicted mm. an, a pandemic like this. Like, really? There was an article that was that got quite a lot of traction in Nature in like 2018, and it was like our expansion um, into areas that had previously been untouched by humans. So like mm. just building more and expanding population yeah. meant that the likelihood of of pandemics um, was basically 100, percent and it will be 100 percent in the future. Like our continual expanding into like um yeah. wild sort of spaces david yeah. attenborough calls them wild spaces so oh thanks david yeah it may- means that this is definitely like you know yeah i like to think it's the ss response too to be like you shitheads but though obviously mm. a lot of people died and that's really horrible so not <laughs> oh i'm <laughs> not saying i'm not saying it's not terrible I'm like, obviously i'm not blaming on any culprit i'm just saying that like in terms of like our interactions with nature a bit of karma um, and yeah, it's, that sounds really bad. And it's obviously a lot more nuanced than that. But it shows what happens when you start to fuck with the planet in ways that like previously we've had control over. Mm. Um, and I think that article, maybe we, I'll link it in the show notes so people can give it a read. Did it kind yeah, of just basically predict COVID? Yeah, like from what I remember of it, it was very much like we are going to have a pandemic because we just keep like you know, pushing into natural spaces and, like, the likelihood mm. of them, you know, animals in those spaces carrying diseases that we haven't been interacted with, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Yeah, wow. And that's essentially what happened. So, yeah, all very doom and gloom. Um, sorry about the noise in the background. My housemate's making pasta. And she's wearing her headphones, so I don't think she realises I'm recording. Uh, friend of the show. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, but you're like all very doom and gloom. And I think this is like a huge contributor to climate anxiety because I think I even the word climate anxiety and that kind of term and of clinical reference we've been using in recent years is almost not broad enough. Because it's not just about the climate. It's just about like the general decline of our state of life and our capacity to like have hope for the future. Um, mm. It's so much more than just like, I'm worried that it's going to get warmer. It's like we need to kind of address it more than be like, no, it's not just to worry about that. It's about all those repercussions. I'm worried about food scarcity. I'm worried about natural disasters. I'm worried about pandemics. I'm worried about the ability for my government to provide for its citizens once its finite industries run out. Yeah, like, definitely. And water scarcity and water rising sea levels yeah. and people and yeah. like the climate refugees, which is going to become a yeah. massive, massive problem. 
So um, the reasons really do abound. Like there's there's so many reasons to be stressed about this, I think. Um, yeah. Is- <laughs> I have definitely like sat in climate lectures mm-hmm. and just cried. Like mm-hmm. I remember really vividly one um, about talking about the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef yeah. and how like we'll basically lose – under a high impact emission scenario, I think, which is sort of like if we continue business as usual, there's obviously a lot more nuance to it, but, um, you know, our coral, there will be like no coral reefs basically across the world because they'll all be bleached and die. And I was sitting in this lecture just like crying. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's kind of rough. Yeah. I I remember Phoebe telling me this as well, like so many of her lectures there's no positive spin to this stuff. Like, there yeah, really is. There's and, no, yeah, you can't really spin yeah. it positively. And no wonder that, like, and I think I kind of mentioned this, but, like, and I love that point you made about how um, so many mental health issues are not or internal. Mm. But, like, the new crisis, like, in the 70s and 80s. That's yeah, the Cold a War. Threat to like young kids. Yeah, the Cold War. I don't even know if it was in the seventies and eighties. The Cold War. We all know what that was. Um, like mm, our like psychological tools and our therapy tools and our counseling tools don't have never faced anything. Like, just nothing comparable in the literature. Nothing that is yeah, able and- to kind of. How do you soothe someone who's like, I'm worried that the planet's going to end, and it's like, well, you know, it's not anxiety. It's like, well, it is. Like. Yeah, it's you, actual what, reality. Feel okay. Like you just don't. It's just fucked. Um but maybe let's talk about some ways that we can kind of push through this because you know, there is still stuff that we can do. What are your thoughts on that? On kind of overcoming climate anxiety as someone who has dealt with a fair amount? Yeah, personally, um, like obviously I you know, have the privilege to just sort of go outside and spend a lot of time in nature, which Mm. is such a nice way to sort of experience the world and be like, okay, it might suck and the future looks really grim, but um, there are, you know, a lot of, there's a beautiful sunset in front of me or something like that, you know, to sort of appreciate. Um, But in reality, a lot of, I think, you can see it in what I study and what I work for that like my um, response to climate change is really to sort of take action. Um, like yeah. I, yeah, I was like 11 and I was in front of a glacier in Canada, which is the most privileged statement to state. Well, probably not, but just a very privileged statement to say in a very privileged place to realize how much the climate is changing, but it had mm. these signs um, and it was like, this is where the glacier was in like 1902. And this is where it was in 1970. And this is where it is now. And it had retreated like two kilometers or something. And I was just like, Whoa. so I was looking at it and I was like, this is so sad. And my brain was like, okay, well, I have to do something. <laughs> um, but yeah, that just, I think for me, act- like just me personally, action, like taking climate action and um yeah yeah can be can just help me make like feel like I'm making a little bit of a difference and if that's like yeah you know divesting my money out of fossil fuels and into ethical companies or like yeah emailing my local MP or um picking companies to buy from that are sustainable that's you know that's okay but you know yeah. also having conversations like this like 
um doing a lot of community based like looking how can a community help is is there like a community food co-op or a garden or a way that I can feel connected to the people around me because Mm -hmm. that's I think the way that we're gonna get through this yeah and it's interesting because I think the you know you do make that point like small actions um realistic like it isn't going to make a huge difference yeah but no but honestly but this is the thing it's like but what you're doing it for is your own mental health so it's kind of like you silver medal here like the gold medal would obviously be to you know fix all that's wrong with the world fix the climate fix greed blah 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 um and like small actions they do help um but it's also like they help you and if the only thing you can control is how you're feeling in response to some of these to some of these big you know changes in nature and change changes in our climate like that's you really just have to go for that don't you yeah i think you know like we know that a hundred companies have been the source of like over 70 percent of mm. the world's whole emissions since like you know the 20th century and so it can feel very small and very um you know useless but again like again I think it's like exactly like you said it's like something that helps your mental health and like the mental health of the people around you if you're engaging in um anything you know I think we're not gonna be able to sort of tackle an issue like this yeah and it's never going to be solved either it's only ever really going to be adapted or mitigated to but like the strategies need to be based around community and Mm. like um interconnectedness so lovely um yeah I think you're absolutely right I'm I'm on on the same page with you today (laughs) amazing wow um we should start a podcast yeah just us just us and all we talk about is climate change and taylor swift and if you're not interested get out yeah get out what else is there to be interested in the world the greatest pop star of all time and the greatest crisis of all time we're really hitting the number one (laughs) having said that taylor swift's um climate like she she's not good for the environment like her miss i don't want to hate on taylor but i'm just gonna say her miss americana documentary there were so many plastic water bottles and i was like taylor it's 2020 or 2019, whenever that was filmed, you can use a reusable water bottle. I know you can. Like, babe, you've got the money. They cost $5. Yeah, I will come and work. Taylor Swift, because you're obviously going to listen to this podcast. Yes. I have the information. I'll come and work for you and, like, sort that out. Yes, she can be your climate consultant. Ever more folklore tour, which will be happening (laughs) next year. Please, please. (laughs) But also the other thing is, like, um, remember her like when you went to the 1989 world tour and they everyone had those like wristbands that like yeah. lit up. where did they all go landfill 100 percent. yeah and so much electricity to run those concerts god we can't have both to now <laughs> but we can't they can be renewable you can have a totally reusable festival system it's all mm. this is what my work does and it's possible yeah like I mean that's what yeah yeah I think that with every like major I don't know I love thinking in like um like there's two sides of the same coin type thing like as with you know every single massive this is a very wicked problem but it also means like Mm. a huge amount of opportunity um like climate change sort of adaptation and, and mitigation like um so changing the way we act and also changing how we respond to climate events 
has yeah. like massive opportunity in terms of improving like um inequalities and um sort of like so for example like um we know that educating and empowering women um like an actual sex education is basically one of the best ways to um reduce climate emissions because it reduces population rates um and you know so you're educating women which is obviously an incredible thing and you're lowering emissions or the same as like um you know if you have like instead of connecting to a single electricity grid you can develop um decentralized grids so like smaller villages or towns have like renewable energy instead of connecting to a main grid and it means that like they have um sort of more secure energy and more like better access to energy so it's basically oh and then you know obviously like first nations or indigenous peoples across the world have massive incredible knowledge bases about um land and sustainability and so like using or like amplifying their voices as well means that like yeah with the problem solving opportunities is massive and in terms of like um even like secondary secondary order consequences of like controlling disasters around climate change like um i'm obviously specifically thinking about bushfires but like taking on indigenous and like knowledge is so important like as much as we've like developed science and like white people like created like education institutions like i'm sorry we really don't know much compared to people who've been like living with the land for many many years um yeah that's a really good book oh sorry no please what's this good book there's a really good book called Fire Country that I just finished by Victor oh. Stephenson and it's it's about like fire management in Australia and yeah the possibilities if we could roll out um you know first nations led fire management across the country would just be insane like you know mm. and first the nations people have like yeah and like they've lived through ice ages and you know mm. so many climate changes that like their resilience um and learning from that is just a really incredible opportunity that we can sort of yeah mm. combine climate action and it, like climate justice generally mm. give me that book we can do a book swap <laughs> okay i will yeah i'll give you something i've been reading it's probably fiction but still no, very I love fiction yeah oh yeah okay great i'll give you like a really good book something lighthearted. i feel like you need that i feel like with yeah. climate anxiety you need something to take the edge off um okay <laughs> i can see something else that you've brought up is that climate doomism can be just as harmful as climate denial and I know we're going to talk about climate denial later but what do we really kind of mean by that climate doomism can be just as harmful as climate denial yeah so this was actually a um article that a um Tim Hollow wrote who is a he's running for the um seat of the greens in the federal the next election um in the nation's capital yeah and he wrote an article um about this and I read it and I was like oh my god basically it's just sort of saying that yeah we can't focus um and by climate doomism you know he means like oh like when climate change comes which I mean it's here already but okay um you know I'm just going to go off into the mountains of New Zealand and live off the land um and that sort of very privileged thing to say that like oh we can just escape climate change um and I think it's totally I mean look we've all had our moments like um I have definitely actually with friend of the show Erin um when the election results came out like three you know when ScoMo won the election um we just 
did shots and had a cry at like two o'clock in the morning because of this. And we're like, Oh my God, we're going to go and just like, fuck this all, you know? And that's such mm. a natural reaction, but has to be done sometimes. You know? Yeah. But in a bigger sense, like that sort of doom and gloom totally shuts off yeah. the possibility of action. Um, and it is also mm. only like, there's no, it's sort of, it's bullshit. Like there's no place, even the mountains of New Zealand are going to be affected by climate change. There's no yeah. place where we can go um, that sort of is like, oh yeah, I've just, I'm just going to leave climate change behind. Like, no, <laughs> we're all going to be affected. Um, obviously most people, mm. like people will be affected very, very differently, but um, yeah, it's we also, don't. Yeah. Like you were saying such a privileged statement. It's like, I'm just going to move to New Zealand. It's like, yeah, but what about all like the Islander communities? Where are they going to go? Yeah, like Tuvalu like, that is going underwater and, her, you know, yeah. it's just like, what? Like out yourself as like a self, as being, sorry, out yourself yeah, exactly. as being like a, a major individualist. Like, but I don't, yeah. I think it's like, I don't think people say it seriously. I think it is a very, very natural reaction to climate anxiety and climate doom and being like, oh, when situations become uncomfortable and put you in a situation of danger, like you do want to escape, you don't want to create a fantasy and you do want to create an outcome that is because you just cannot eat perpetual so I do I get mm. what people say you know. I think not, it needs I, to shift sorry yeah no, oh, I think I it needs to shift it. to like yeah more you know the climate is something that is changing but we can like at mm. least try and make the outcome a little bit better like together in a in a sort yeah. of united way yeah. I sound like a cult leader, but you know. No, please. That's the vibe. And I know that's the vibe that we all need. <laughs> you know, right now we have Scott Morrison and that man is just as boring as a fish and as dumb as a scarecrow. So um <laughs> we do probably need something cult leader would be better. At least we could get something done. Um, <laughs> but I do see this like really positive point that you've kind of put in, which is that you know, there is some optimism. You don't need to move to New Zealand, right? You know, not right now, at least. Like, the world is kind of slowly moving moving on climate change. Mm. Like you said, most yeah. major developed countries are net zero by 2050 or, like, somewhere near that, promise, in, in terms yeah. of their target. Like, the UK, um, EU, America, China, yes. um, Japan, Russia? New Zealand. I don't know about Russia. I'm not sure about Russia, but... That, like, countries are committing and, you know, there's a lot. I mean, um, the school strike for climate and, like, Greta Thunberg's mm-hmm. Fridays for Future Movement, like, that was those connected sort of marches were, like, the biggest, I think, I'm pretty sure they were the biggest ever, um, like, yeah. worldwide movement of, of, of protests for climate action. So, like, things are changing. Um, yeah. And even in Australia, the government is really slacking but like all australian states have committed to net zero by 2050 Mm. um and renewables are predicted to like outpace fossil fuels in electricity generation by the end of the decade so um yeah it's really exciting sorry we've got a oscars hi podcast hi oscar (laughs) (laughs) he's just come back from a little walk outside zoe (laughs) Sorry, guys, a little bit of a divert. We like to keep it classy and candid on this show, so. Oh, yeah. There we go. There's my housemate. He's he's fucking fabulous. He's wonderful. Um, I really want to talk about climate denial. 
yes. and why convincing people to make it their problem can be so hard. And I've got like a bit of a story about this. So someone that I know, um, someone that, yeah, I don't know how many details I want to go into. Someone who was like a close family relation um, mm. <laughs> of sorts. Yeah. I've already told you this, so I think maybe I have. But um, they're like a, a full-blown climate denialist. Like climate change doesn't exist. The government's just trying to control us. The government's just trying to send us broke. The government doesn't care about small business. Like this is all this is all fake. Like the planet has changed so many times. This is like nothing new. It was really infuriating when I think I first recognized what a what what harm these kind of arguments do. Um yeah, because it is, I think you, you've said it here, like it's linked to such a left and right wing divide. I don't really know how that has happened. Surely mm. it's like a human issue. Like surely you, like I would always like to think that like this innate sense of like loyalty to the next generation and like wanting our children to inherit a better planet. Like everyone left and right has kids they love. Everyone has a sense of humanity. Like but I guess not. I guess it's still very polarised and politicised and um, just kind of this split between, like, conservatives and elites and regional communities and um, more inner-city communities, that kind mm. of stuff. Yeah, so we're, like, yeah, we're mm. second only to the US in the world in how much climate policy is, like, linked to um, political sort of lefts mm. and rights. Like, obviously... Um, not it, it, not everyone is like that. Um, and yeah. in Australia, there's yeah, yeah, and in Australia, you know, there are people that um, sort of are on either side that do or don't believe in climate. Um, and you know, there's like places like the UK where climate is a really bipartisan issue. But here, I think we've we just haven't done a very good job at like including both sides in discussions. You know, we have yeah. like. Yeah, like you said, the sort of like these activists um, going on road trips, which is a great way to drum up support, but also can be so isolating for regional communities or mining communities yeah. that are like you are so literally, as well. yeah, you're literally protesting to remove my job. Like what the, you know, yeah. that would be so yeah. unimaginably difficult to to look at. And, you know, a response. it's mm-hmm. so natural to respond and be like, no fuck you um yeah but yeah yeah, and then we have these really weird contrasts too of like you know the deputy pm uh michael mccormack um was like agriculture needs to be exempt from any like emissions reduction policy because um at the moment agriculture contributes about 13 percent of emissions um Mm -hmm. and that will continue to increase but then like the ceo of the national farmers federation who you think would be his like sort of biggest supporter was like no, we don't necessarily want to be exempt. We just want to be included in the transition. Um, yeah. And that's, like, very, yeah, we we definitely just need way better dialogue around, like, just mm-hmm. transitions and supporting a really solid transition mm-hmm. because we have such potential for, you know, hydrogen and solar and wind mm-hmm. as long as we do it right. Yeah, we definitely do. And that's a huge thing. I think two issues here that really link to kind of social psychology, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit later on, But I think a massive thing that we've seen is the failure to appreciate that Australia is not one country. Australia is highly divided between regional and, like, metropolitan areas. 
mm. um, or like city areas. And the lives that people lead lead in those communities are completely different. And there has been very little, I would say, effort to actually relate to people who are like, yeah, they're like people in Mackay who are like working coal mines. Like that's their livelihood. You really think that they're going to want to listen to you? Like you, you know, this person coming through telling you like, oh yeah, you need to get, you know, you need to get fired. Like you need to lose all your income. Fuck your Mm. kids. Fuck the pleasures that you have in life for a bigger purpose, but also include you in the, in the, in the plan up for what happens afterwards. We're just going to tell you what to do now. Um, Oscar's giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> like my own. Yeah, I just think, yeah. <laughs> He's giving me a love hug. Yeah, I just think that we have done a really bad job at actually trying to be empathetic and trying to actually relate to people who don't come from elitist backgrounds. Um, and that creates massive in-groups and out-groups. Um, huge. Like, in terms of, like, I think we were talking about this yesterday, Um you have this in-group um, and the in-group is like, you know, the people who are like climate change is, is real and like you, anyone who like buys reusable, non-reusable straws is going to hell and they get choked <laughs> by a turtle. <laughs> Fuck yeah. you. And like blah, 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 blah. And like the thing is they create such an in-group where they're like everyone else who doesn't believe this, who they must be idiots. They must be stupid. Like, oh, you know, these bogans, which I I hate that word. It's like, no, these people are highly intelligent. It's just that you have absolutely no way of appreciating the sacrifices they're going to make that you don't have to. Mm. Um, And when you create these in-groups and out-groups where everyone in the in-group believes they're right, everyone in the out-group is this demonized minority, how the hell are you meant to, you know, create collaboration on an issue that is, you know, at its core, a huge collective action problem? Um. Sorry, yeah, that was that's... a bit of rant, <laughs> No, no, no. It's it, it so, me. It's so me. like, you know, we're becoming increasingly more sort of polarised and, like, we don't mm. want to connect. I know, you know, it's so easy for me to see someone posting something slightly questionable on Facebook mm. or, or Instagram or something and um, I'm just like, oh, unfriend. And, you know, like, mm. I know that because of social media, there's, like, there's all these statistics. There's been, like, an increase in friendships that are, like, fracturing mm. over politics. Um, yeah. And, that. you know, Facebook, um, like, literally actively worked to to polarise users in, in either direction. They've done all these studies on it. And it's really scary because, like, um, so much, like, particular, like, like, climate denier or climate skeptic yeah. arguments are often built around mistrust and we just have this like you said in group and out group where you don't trust anyone that's outside of your group um and it means that we can't sort of connect um and even i saw this like statistic that was like online comments um uh like so, something written you can dehumanize the writer more than someone yeah. speaking in person so we're having these like online written things that's just like so disconnected and so um sort of alienating to either mm-hmm. side and it really does build on these like in group out group kind of um mechanisms that we have built into our brain um in that like you're going to become more and more trusting of the group that may be feeding you misinformation from either side because you relate to them because you trust them and become you'll become more hostile to that group who's trying to change your mind perhaps by dehumanizing you because at the end of the day like we want to maintain our self-esteem and if someone's saying like oh you climate denier you're an idiot you hate your kids well Mm. 
what the fuck? Like, you don't want to then have to go on and acknowledge in the future that actually you were a climate denial, like denialist. You're just going to sink your feet into the sand even more and just try very hard to prove them wrong because, you know, believing what they're saying, that you are denying something that is very real, means that you have to agree with all their other arguments and all their other critiques of you as an individual. So... Mm. I think that that is something that really frustrates me and I think it's probably why Australia has the most kind of, um, what was the way that you put it, like the most kind of split on either side uh, or polarisation because of um, firstly huge finite industries that create, that contribute to climate change and also huge splits between regional regional, rural and then city populations as well. Mm. Um, but you know, every now and again we're going to come across someone who wants to deny climate change. That's fine with them. They're within their rights. But how do we kind of connect with them? You know, I'm sure you've met people like this before. Do you have any tips to now to convince maybe like your aunt or your like ex-boyfriend's stepdad? <laughs> yes, I have. I've definitely um, attempted, not attempted to, accidentally ruined some extended family <laughs> Christmas dinners over various issues and climate change is, is one of them. <laughs> Go, um, baby, you love to see it. <laughs> yeah. But um, the sort of key to the whole thing is like connecting over something other than the political issue. So like mm-hmm. you can't, I'm like, I watched such a good Ted talk on this and I literally mm. have no clue. Like I, I hadn't saved it. So I don't know what it's called, but it was just a really good Ted talk saying that like just research is showing that there are like people do not change their minds unless they have an existing connection with the per- the person that's trying to convince them of something. So I cannot walk into a room with someone that I'm not friends with Um or actually, like I was handing out um, pamphlets for, um, it's probably obvious, the Greens at um, a <laughs> recent election. And yes. um, like a guy who was handing out pamphlets for Clive Palmer came up to me and started like being like, it's rained recently. Climate change is not a thing. And I was like, oh, my Bro. God. And I was like, I'm not even going to go anywhere because you just can't. Like people will not change their minds unless you sort of already have a connection. Um, And so it's like you sort of need to just find a common ground first. Um, Yeah. Which I think you would know about like psychologists, like a shared reality, like when you engage with the shared reality. Yeah, it's huge. It's like um, and creating like mutual understanding and it's like humanising the other person. It's Mm. really big in terms of um, getting therapists to trust therapists use it to get people to trust them as well um and like child psychiatrists and uh, child psychologists it's huge basically it's like we're on the same playing field like we're on each Mm. other's team you have to have something to link before you can introduce um things that might be counter to what the person already believes it it just makes so much common sense doesn't it like the best things do yeah 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 Um, it's a huge concept in this yeah and then like from then, once you have that connection, um, I was reading about like the success of something called moral reframing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know like it just this is a massive generalization, obviously, but um, conservative people tend to be led by values of like tradition, um, authority, yes. yeah. purity and loyalty. But then you have like um, liberal, like lowercase liberal. <laughs> um, yeah. They sort of go for equality, fairness, um, and preventing harm to others. Mm. Um, 
And, you know, if you walk into a, uh, a discussion with someone who is a climate denier and might be a bit conservative and, um, you know, you're sort of asking them to change, you know, if you go in with a classic, like, we're destroying the world, you're asking them to change, um, it's sort of like change their whole value set, which is like yeah. not productive and is not going to work. But um, this moral reframing thing is sort of talking about like um, reframing the issue to fit their values. So, um, for example, like um, uh, like more progressive people would potentially connect because they value like care and harm reduction would connect yeah. with a statement like um, we're destroying and harming our planet and we need to stop. Whereas um, yeah. conservatives might more relate to an argument like it's important to keep our air um, and our oceans clean and pure because that appeals to their values mm-hmm. of purity. Um, and so it's like both things and the same message, um, you know, like we need to protect the planet, but they're just like shifted to f- sort of realign with the values and context and yeah. history of the person that you're talking to. Mm, it's like marketing. Basically you've got to sell the same point just in different packaging. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is so true. Um, do you want to talk about this next bit? If you're about what happens if you're not in the in-group? Yeah. So um, like you talked about before, there's definitely this in-groups and out-groups, but um, you sort of, if you can't necessarily connect, then you need to find someone who's like um, what I think people refer to as like trusted messengers, like someone that mm. is connected to with both sides. Um, and then uh, also like bringing in, I think just most, so many conversations um, need to be like, you just need to go in like respecting the other person yeah. and just trying to like enjoy it and ask questions and like mm. you learn something from every single person. So if you go in with a really open mind, um, you're going to come out with like, okay, maybe like you then understand why they believe the things they believe and then you can shift like the way you speak about things to sort of like realign with like the moral reframing but realign with you know okay maybe they grew up um by a river and you can talk about caring for like a local river and reducing pollution in that river you know it can be like if you walk into a conversation that sort of mindset yeah like you're not going to change their mind overnight but like small little conversations Mm. over and over um, will hopefully like maybe shift someone's actions so that you know yeah. both sides can understand the other better. You're absolutely right. And um, for those who kind of maybe are skeptical about that, this idea of a trusted messenger it's used so frequently. Think about when celebrities endorse political candidates. That's a huge oh my part God. of it. Yeah, I've... trusted messengers. <laughs> like I did not think of that. Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's massive. Um, it's a big thing um, that the US is trying to do in terms of vaccine hesitancy right now. Um, getting trusted messengers. So, for example, Olivia um, Rodrigo. Olivia Rodrigo, but I was also thinking members of the church. <laughs> um, not just the church, like teenage girl crushes, but like, yeah, like getting trusted members. Um, they also got um, a Republican, he um, was like a manager of a bunch of. Republican runs for president. So he's very well known amongst conservative communities, um, specifically specific, the 60s and the 90s. I don't know what that was, but people born between the 60s and the 90s. And they got all these like, um, what are they called? Like groups together, focus groups. And they got him to present different arguments. And they found that all the arguments were just as effective because he was a trusted messenger. Oh. And a lot of people afterwards 
and you know he was very conservative yes but he came into it not criticizing just being like let's have a discussion giving them the facts and he also found that when a family member talks to someone about you know getting vaccinated or perhaps changing to eco-friendly dish soap whatever small actions Mm. um people are most likely to to go along with it because they trust their family member has their best intentions at heart so yeah it's a huge thing being a trusted messenger or yeah they actually just so powerful they actually found that um if you teach kids about climate change in schools Mm. you don't like it's just teaching them about climate change so there's nothing to do with like how to talk to others or how to talk to your family about this it's Mm. just like I think they were like maybe let's say year eight or something um Mm. it was like middle school in the U.S. um they found that kids that learned about climate change their parents down the track were more likely to become more um sort of supportive of positive climate action than um other children so yeah children in particular have a massive impact which is why like it's so important to and it's so positive to see massive like climate strikes because a lot of those kids and those Mm. kids are hopefully gonna say something and you know sort of talk to their family about those issues and it's like you know they're yeah it's just absolutely so powerful this happened with my grandma um and she she had these kind of conservative views around climate change and then all of her grandkids started talking to her about it and um, I think also when you're related to someone, you know what serves their values the best and what they care about the most. Mm. And for her, like I grew up in Corumban, which is like this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful community. And, you know, every year now there's fires, one half of the year floods, the other half. Um, it's just natural like these days. And it was like telling her about mm. that and getting her grandkids to explain it to her that really kind of sunk in. And I think that's like, a massive message that we have today is just have conversations with your family and your friends. Um, even if they do believe stuff, you never know who they're going to meet who doesn't. Um, mm, and who they're going to talk to. Who they're going to talk to, making it a more normalised thing. Um, and it's also just a good way to, you know, this is about climate anxiety. It's a really great way to kind of deal with that, knowing that there is a collective involved in this. It's not just you because I feel like sometimes this stuff can feel like you have – the weight of the world on your hands to make ethical environmental decisions but it is something that we're all facing together and that kind of gives me a bit of comfort sometimes knowing that it's I'm not kind of in it alone I'm not yeah, sure 100% no mm. I think like just going in and talking to like friends about it can be so rewarding and to just understand mm. that yeah you're not alone and there are people out there that really are so passionate about and there's so much change happening in so many communities and mm. you know people that might at first seem like climate you know deniers or whatever might just also be the people that can see and have the best amount of knowledge for like how to really sustainably Mm. transition you know like there needs to be like I think yeah conversations can be so enjoyable because you sort of understand where people are coming from um and you know yeah like when you're talking about your grandma my grandma exactly the same like did not believe Mm, in climate change and then the fires came in 2019 and I just persisted in talking about it at, you know, on just mm. a, an occasional phone call. I'd be like, I'm learning about this. And, you know, she mm. believes in climate change now. So it takes, yeah. it can take years. It can take decades, but I think we, you know, it's, it's really positive when people connect yeah. and, and sort of, yeah, try and tackle things. Yeah. I think that what really kind of similar was, cause obviously, you know, this like me and, um, 
me and my ex like survived the bushfires. We like escaped out of Maria during the bushfires. And it was a really stressful time where we actually weren't sure like whether we were going to like come out alive. And like, I think that's something that hasn't really sunk in for me. Like, but looking back at that situation now, I'm like, oh my God, people died. Like Mm. I could have died. Like we were on in the middle of a road. Like we could have died. And I think when I told my grandma about that situation and when things were getting really serious, when my family members couldn't get through to us, when they weren't sure whether we decided to to stay or leave. Like, I think that was the point where she was like, oh yeah, this is something that my, like, you know, I could have lost a grandkid because mm. of the actions of, um, you know, of me and not caring about the stuff. So anyhow, kind of an emotional way to end it, isn't it, Tanea? Talking about <laughs> grandma. We love the vulnerability. Yeah, we do love the vulnerability. And I want to say a huge thank you for coming on. We've been talking for like almost an hour. So if you have made it this far, I hope you are educated. Tanea is one of the most intelligent and just well-spoken people I know. And so I really want to thank her again for thanks for coming oh, on. Thank dude. you. Thank you so Hi. much for having me. Um, anytime, yeah. literally, anytime. Just incredible. And, um, yeah. Well, it was a great discussion. It was a great way to end my, what day is it? My Thursday. I'm here anytime. <laughs> yeah, what day is it? We're in lockdown. The yeah. days don't matter anymore. Time yeah, is really a construct. Matter. It really is. But climate change isn't. So, mm-hmm. yeah, get, um, get out there. Get talking. Get out there, girl, in a COVID safe way. And, with um, a mask. With a mask, yes. And gloves and also hand sanitizer. And mm. your check-in camera app. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> um, but, yes, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you want to hear more about some of the things we've been talking about in recent months, feel free to subscribe. You can find me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever. Follow us on Instagram. Follow Tanea if you want. And I'll link some of the articles she mentioned in the show notes. But thanks again, Tanea. Thank you. See you guys next week. Bye.